We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everybody, Jen Ramsey here and welcome to this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. This week I am so excited to be introducing to you a great friend of mine and also a mentor, Michael Daly. Michael describes himself as a cat with nine lives and he certainly has had that. He has lived in many different worlds from a previous life in criminal law and then working as a marketing manager in London before having a very sudden shift in priorities to yoga. For the past 20 years, Michael has been a meditation and yoga teacher and trainer. He's run three busy yoga studios, written and taught over 10,000 hours of vocational training in yoga and meditation, as well as facilitating more than 65 retreats in Australia and internationally. So Michael's turned this very deep passion for yoga into a million dollar business and now supports others to do the same. Alongside all of this work, Michael runs a successful hypnotherapy and coaching business where he helps people move through anxieties and traumas and towards greater success in life. He leads vocational training in mind performance coaching, is a published author, has appeared in numerous magazines and runs his own podcast called Being Yoga. So welcome, Michael, to the podcast today. So great to have you with us. It's an absolute pleasure, Jen. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, just great to catch up with you. And Michael and I have had a, a great association this year. I've, this year I've um, completed one of my big bucket lists and one of my big priorities in life, which was to do my yoga teacher training. And Michael, along with his partner, Vanessa Rudge, was my incredible mentor and trainer. And um, if you ever thought about studying yoga, I would definitely say do it with Michael and Vanessa. And now that we're in this world of online because of COVID-19, um, Michael and Vanessa now offer online training internationally. So it's very exciting. Mm. So it's been a great year. But let's just track back to the beginning. I think your story, Michael, is is really a fascinating story. I mean, you and Vanessa have really done a lot to pioneer yoga in Australia. You've really helped grow it as this incredibly vibrant scene in this country. And we're all very lucky that you've done that. But there was a time in your life before yoga. So let's go back there. Let's go and hear about some of those other of the nine lives we were talking about. And perhaps you could share with us, you know, a little bit of your backstory and what led you into yoga. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to. Uh, I think when I look back on my life, there's been a, a number of really key landmarks, as I'm sure there are in everyone's life. And I, I normally start the story around the age of 27, but I've, I've come to realize that there were things in my much earlier life that really contributed to me, I just I guess, pursuing a more alternative way of living in the world and an alternative way of you know, running business and, and being in a relationship, not alternative in a, in a strange 1960s hippie way, but just alternative in, I guess, 
uh, just being the salmon who sometimes swims against the stream of the norms and the mainstream. And, and, and so there was an experience, I'm not sure if I talked about it on, on our course, but I was 13 as, a, as a, a tennis player. I wanted to be a professional tennis player and I grew up you know, pursuing that dream full on. And it was my first great discipline in life and first great love really to just be on the court. And I remember playing in a, in a state titles in Milton in Brisbane on the old grass court. So that's telling my age when they still had grass courts to play on real grass. And, um, and I remember having an experience there of playing in a semifinal and, and just accessing what I didn't know at the time was what we call today a flow state. And I was 13 and it's what a lot of athletes describe as that moment when that's weird. I, I reflect back and when time kind of stands still. And, and I remember, cause I used to have that little niggling voice in the back of my head. I don't know if you've ever had that. I'm sure you have. I'm sure uh-huh. everyone has that little niggling voice. That's it's kind of, it used to make me tentative in life and it used to make me kind of make me hold back a little bit. And so I'd be, I'd train really well on the practice court but in sports, it's nothing about the practice court. It's how you show up on the day. Mm-hmm. And I know when I used to compete on the day, I'd show up and there'd be that little voice in the back of my head that instead of going, go for it, it was going, oh, what happens if you miss? Yeah. And, and, and so it used to make me tighten up a little bit and used to make me worry about the outcome. Anyway, I was having this match when I was 13 and, and I remember that voice just disappeared. And it was like the lines on the tennis court got massive. And I had this feeling like I just couldn't miss. I'd never had that feeling before because it was always that little voice of trepidation or fear or doubt. I remember just feeling to myself that two strange things happened for me on that, in that, on that court. And I think that they're, they're actually things that have been with me my whole life now on this path. I remember thinking to myself, I lost the care of whether I won or lost the match. That was the weird thing about being in, a, I think, a genuine flow state. You're in a, a quite a detached state of mind where the, it's not so much about you or the outcome anymore. I lost the desire to win or lose. I just had this passion to be on the court and just right in the middle of the experience for as long as I could. And I wish I had a happy ending. I lost that match 7-5 in the third set um, to a better player than me, but I played really well. But I, I left that court with this feeling of, of an altered state of consciousness I'd never had before, drug-free. And, um, and, and, and that was the start of a journey, I think, of, of realizing there was a whole lot more to the human mind mm. than, than you know, we're often taught about. And people mm. weren't talking about flow states or being in the zone back then. And so I developed a fascination for the mind and, and just maximizing the human mind. I got into really weird esoteric Alistair Crowley magic in my late teens and, and Buddhism. And I remember reading these stories of these Buddhists back when I was 18 thinking, Oh, I'd love to just go to the cave and meditate and seek my enlightenment. And I realized I was far too worldly to even contemplate that. And I, I loved, I loved working and I love women and I love partying too much. So that wasn't on the agenda. And so there were all these little landmarks and these moments. And, um, and then I discovered, you know, surfing and, and music. And I think that was another moment that changed things for me, just shifted me from being a sort of a left brain analytical person to a, a right brain feeling, contemplating, intuitive person. And then the real moment for me came, Jen, and, um, and in London when I was um, 
the year 2000 and mm. I had met a, I'd met a lovely woman, a Spanish girl in Spain and we'd moved to London and we were engaged and there was this big love affair and I'd found my dream job. I was in a marketing manager at a multi-million dollar company and I had ads all up over London. I was traveling around, living this big life and just, I remember walking to Sainsbury's if anyone's been to London and Sainsbury's is the local shopping center and walking there one day as you do in the dreary weather. And I just thought to myself, I've just, everything's sorted itself out. I've got all the pieces of my life sorted out. Everything's perfect. And I always say to people, beware the commentator's curse because the minute you make a big call like that, <laughs> your life's just done and perfect. It's a, it's one step away from falling in a heap. And that's what happened to me. My, uh, my blessed life fell apart. My, 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 my fiance moved back to Spain. I left, left with a terribly broken heart. She had to finish a degree and kind of just, it was all too much, too fast, too soon and had to go back and finish her. She was a training to be a dentist. And, um, and then my, my job fell apart. My company went into liquidation. My health fell apart. And, and from that moment to within a month, fast forward, I remember walking around London and, and just feeling this incredible emptiness and, and impermanence and, and just looking at the world and, and, and just, I remember thinking to myself, I, I could, I could, you know, work hard and build my whole life back up again from that point and, and have success and find another relationship and, and, and live this big life. And I had this moment, I remember so vividly walking around on this dreary Sunday Ave in London and, and just thinking it's all like a sandcastle on the shoreline. Mm. And no matter how beautifully I build that sandcastle, whatever my life could look like externally, it, it's just one wave away from being exactly back to where it is right now. Mm. And, and I made a commitment to myself in that moment that I was going to live my life from the inside out rather than the outside in, which was to just get me right first and to, get my mind really right and my health and my values and, and, and pursue a path in life that was, it's, yeah, it's like a 180, a 180 shift. It was very profound within the space of 30 days. I could never could have dreamed it. I left my job. I left my careers. I left everything. And all I've done for 20 years is, you know, be a yoga and meditation and mind performance coach. It's just, it was such a profound shift, but it was all from that one thought of, it was that sandcastle on the shoreline. It was like a Jimi Hendrix song, mm. I think, um, mm. that really woke something up in me. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what an incredible um, realisation. I mean, these things do happen. We do have these sort of these big realisations when trauma happens in our lives and you had a bit of a double whammy, you know, a, a relationship breakup, a job, you know, not being what you thought it was and, and then your health. I mean, that's they, these are all big things in and of themselves, if you had any one of those, they might make you question your life. But then to have all three sort of happen within the space of each other, um, pretty pretty scary, but obviously quite a clear, as you said, quite a clear wake-up call. And um, you're right, London on a, on a winter's day is, or a dreary day is not, a, not a necessarily a great place to be. So, um, so but there must have been, you had that realisation, I love how you phrased that, living from the inside out rather than the outside in. And... Um, that's certainly been my journey as well. And, and you're right, as you, when you said earlier, have I ever had those moments? Yes, I have. And they can come after a bit of a trauma. But um, what happened then Did you, for you to then, okay, I've got to live life differently. I've got to live from the inside out. Did you then sort of 
go back to that esoteric reading you'd been doing when you were an 18 year old what what connected you back into to that realization oh I've got to come from the inside out now it was more just a very I'm a quite a rational scientific minded person who also swings the pendulum to the mystical very regularly but I am I'm, I'm very grounded and very sort of probably I lean a little bit left brain sometimes, you know, in, in a good way. And so it was, it's more of just a very rational, a rational look at life. And, and I thought to myself, if everything that I'd built up, if everything that I have, everything that I could build up again is just subject to change and impermanence. And if everything is always shifting and changing, where could I find something that isn't? That was just mm. a very rational thinking. I thought if, if my life's just a constant juggernaut of one experience to the next and one moment, one job relation, whatever it is. And I thought, well, what's, what's in me that's not always changing? And is there anything? So I didn't really consult the Oracle or the books necessarily. I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed that. I just said, what would happen if I just get really still? What would happen if I just make my body and my mind forcibly get on the other side of all the change. And, and so that was, a, I'd been meditating for a little bit on and off, you know, on the wagon, off the wagon, and it hadn't really stuck. But it was that moment when I thought, what would just happen? Just see for yourself. Kind of like the Buddha said, just go and see for yourself. What would happen if you just get really still? And, and is there something? I didn't know. I didn't want to read the book, the Bible, the Buddha. I, I didn't, I just wanted to see for myself. Is there something in me that is only available in in stillness perhaps in mm. the non-doing in the being side of yourself of all of us mm. and if so let me go and experience that directly rather than rely on anyone else's version of it and just adopt someone else's fundamentalist beliefs mm. let me just see for myself so i made a commitment for 30 minutes every morning and 30 minutes again every night I just sat down and I meditated. Didn't really know what I was doing. My flatmate thought I'd gone insane. I was burning incense and playing weird alternative music and hanging posters in my room. Where had his beer drinking, partying friend gone? But I, um, I, he'd wake up in the morning and the, the waft of incense would come out of the bedroom. And, um, but he, it was great. It was good to have a good friend. He supported that. And, and I just thought to myself, what, you know, what's going to happen? And literally within a month, mm. there was such a profound shift that, that I felt that what emerged out of that stillness was, uh, was uh, a connection with my heart, uh, with a goodness inside me and uh, um, a sort of uh, a space of, just an unbridled joy and enthusiasm for life, a love, if you want to use that word, a sacred awareness that I felt genuinely that I'd found something that life could never take from me again. And that was the moment. And it all came through just a very personal journey of asking a question. It's just a what if question, which I tell everyone to do, like, don't rely on me. Just ask yourself, what if? What if there's something inside you that you haven't yet noticed that could actually kind of solve nearly all the puzzles of your life? So I that was it. that was that moment. Yeah. I love that. And thank you for sharing that because it is, you're right, it's such a simple question to ask. And the stillness, that in internal reality is actually so profound. It's it's and 
it's actually such a place to explore um, mm. once you get there. But it's it's that you're right. It's that actually making that commitment to sit and in stillness for a period of time every day, and and to then um, if I have faith in that that that's a, that's that's that you can come back to that place. And I also love the fact that you didn't feel you needed to go to any more books or any other teachers. It was sort of like you've done enough of the reading and the all, all of the training. This was a time for you yourself to go inside and to experience that for yourself. It was and, a very weird feeling because, and it, it often sounds arrogant. I don't, I don't say this very often, especially on on public podcasts. But I had this very strange experience that because I started doing yoga at the same time, and I, it felt it felt like a, a zip file, you know, a zip file on a computer, like a compressed file. I felt like my consciousness was the zip file that had just been extracted. And, and, and I had this strange sensation that, and I remember saying it to myself, it was just like, here we go again. It was like, it was like hundreds of lifetimes. And I don't know if I even believed in that at the time, but hundreds of lifetimes just were opened up like compressed file that were already inside me somehow. And, and this knowledge, it was strange. This knowledge was just there. And, and, and so I didn't need the books. I didn't need the teachers. I, I just felt, and I've always taught from that space of just direct intuitive, not channeling, but just, just, just drinking from that source and opening your mouth. And that's how I teach. I don't teach with books and you've seen, I don't teach with notes. I don't, I don't use any of that. I just, I just, I just drink from that well, and it's, it's all there, and it's, it's there for everyone. It's an infinite source that everyone can tap into. It's, it's sublime. It's, it's rich. It's beautiful. It's intoxicating. Mm. Mm. It really is, and it's such a, um, it's, it's such a benefit if you can tap into that at that age, and then you can make it your life's work. I think a lot of people in our world are looking for purpose. And what is my purpose in life? And I mean, I have a view that, you know, our purpose is to expand and, and experience life in its fullness and, and its joy, but, and to get those lessons we've come to get, but for you to have tapped in and to, it is, I understand what you're saying that you, you, you were very fortunate to tap in. And then, as you said, find that zip file, like, oh, here we are doing it all over again. And clearly it's, it's in you and it's your great love. And then you can just, can come out of you, which is, which is just incredible. Can you share perhaps a little bit of, then about your discovery of yoga? Um, we've talked about this before, but I'd love if you could share that with our listeners today. Mm. So you were doing the meditation, beer drinking flatmate was going, where is Michael? Not, not out with me anymore. He's meditating and he's doing these other things. So what else, ha what happened with the yoga? How did you actually find yoga? And did you do yoga in Australia before you left or is it something that happened? In no, no, no. So that was in the year 2000 and it was just the time when yoga was starting to mm -hmm. find its its modern roots, I'd say, in the Western world. And I remember what seeing the covers of the Who magazine, I don't know if that's even still a magazine, and like um, Madonna and, well, I was in the UK, so Ginger Spice, Jerry Halley, all these all these celebrities were sort of filmed with their nice big firm shoulders carrying their yoga mats off to the class it was the new thing and um it was actually a girlfriend of a good mate of mine was sitting around at home and she goes because she knew i was going through a bit of a, a period of soul so she wanted to go into a yoga class i never thought you know as a as a bloke i never thought to do yoga and 20 years ago i don't think a lot of guys were probably doing yoga and and um and I'd come from a sports background. So I love moving. I love training. I was riding to the gym and exercise and sports. And, and so I thought, okay, I'll go to, a, I went to a local gym and went to a very nothing kind of class. It wasn't a mind blowing class. 
and it uh, and again this it always sounds so weird to put words to your experience um in the public but i this is what happened to me so i went into the change rooms in the gym after the class and i i just remember splashing my face and i splashed my face and i i, I sort of looked up into the mirror at the time and i i looked into what i can only describe as a, a set of eyes that I, I don't, I didn't know if I'd ever seen before. Like it was, it was like that, that class of yoga had, had some like a windscreen wiper just cleared something from me. It had just, it had just removed something. It, it, it temporarily removed the, the blinders or the shutters or the veil, whatever you want to call it. And, and I looked into that mirror as though I just looked into me like you know your soul your essence whatever it was but i felt like i just had a moment where i just i saw myself and i saw potential and i saw possibility and i saw i saw i saw the infinite almost it was very strange you know people do yoga all the time these days but that was my very first class and i was in that change rooms and i looked in that mirror and that was it so i walked out of that class my very first yoga class and I just knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. It was that clear. It was that profound that I just, something woke up, honestly, just woke up. It was like, was it a red pill, the matrix? I took the red pill and I was off and running. And so I had this high paying job and wonderful career and, you know, I'd been studying, I'd been an academic, I'd been in a suit for, you know, the good 10 years of my life in and out of courtrooms in and out of corporate boardrooms and, and, and I walked out of that class and I just knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. It was the most left field, random, strange decision of my entire life. Everyone thought I'd gone insane. My mum thought I was going to run off. She used to describe and join the orange people. I don't know. I think that was Osho's group or something. Yeah, Osho's and, group, yeah. And, um, and she freaked out. And, it, and, you know, it was just a very left field decision to, for me to do that. But you know, as I say to all our students, I've taught, you know, so many students over the years, I say there's moments in life when doors open and most people don't walk through them, I've found, because it's freaking scary. It's really confronting and it's so hard to let go of the comforts and the norms and, and security and money. And, and I was broke for the next six years, literally broke. I'd gone from really good money to broke. I could care less because I was now doing something that I love, something that I valued, something that I was helping other people. And I gradually just step-by-step step built a, built a career for myself out of that, that passion. But there were just massive moments that opened doors and uh, uh, lucky enough to walk through them, I think. That's it. And I think seeing that moment for what it was in terms of that real, it was a real sliding doors kind of moment where, you know, it was, you could have, sort of gone, oh, that was a nice experience and I'll do it in my, do it, you know, in my part-time, but I'll keep on with my corporate job. But the calling was obviously strong enough that you really, really felt the calling to, to do that, which is, mm. which is just fantastic. And, and thank heavens you did because you have influenced so many lives as a result. And I'm sure you would have in your other careers influenced lives, but this has been, been quite profound. So what happened from there, Michael? So you'd done the first yoga class. Did you how did you then start pursuing this? Did you, I think you spent some time in India studying? What, what happened from there? 
Yeah, so it's been a it's been an endlessly unraveling journey from then. Um, so I, I I traveled around the the Europe for a, a little while. I planned to do two years. I was just going to be this uh, wandering gypsy traveling around the world from there. And after that, I I tell the story. I was I I went to Germany and then I caught a train to Poland, and um, I wanted to go and visit Auschwitz and because I was really deep into uh, just experiencing humanity and, and the good and bad, which has really been my life. To, uh, I try and wear the dark and the light in equal measure because I got, I got a lot of both in me. And I wanted to go and visit Auschwitz. And again, it was a dreary day. I remember walking around Auschwitz on my own. There was no one there. It was just coming out of, I think it was end of winter. It was cold. And, I, and, and, and it was a very profound moment of just realizing just the level of suffering that people have been through in their life and wanting to make a massive commitment to take my part somehow and in just in a small way, not a grandiose way, but just a small way, helping people, you know, alleviate the the, the suffering that is, is so profound in, in human life and human history. So filled with it. And then I was in Poland and I ran into this fellow and he was going to about to go and live in a Buddhist monastery for a year in the UK we spent a cool day together traveling around Poland and chatting. And then we were staying in this really stinky, grotty 16 birth dorm in Poland. And, um, and, you know, I was asleep and everyone was coming in all night drunk. And, and then I sort of stirred and at 4am in the morning, I looked around and here's this guy sitting in this really unpleasant environment up on his bed, eyes closed. Just, he did about two hours of meditation and, and, you know, moments, people, they just, again, an adore. And so that moment I went, yep, that's who I want to become. Uh, I really want to explore this path fully. And so I, I quit my two years of travel. I booked a flight straight home. I booked myself into a Vipassana 10-day meditation. And I came home and, and that was my first really deep dive into deeper meditation work. Signed up for yoga teacher training. And then I was on my last day of yoga teacher training and a woman on that offered me five classes a week if I could pack up all my gear and move 250 kilometers within three days and uproot my life and come and live on the Sunshine Coast. And so I went home, I threw all my gear into my van and I turned up and started teaching three days after I graduated. And that's, that was the start I guess why I tell that story is I think when when you're on a path you're supposed to be following, doors just keep opening up, don't they? And uh, and if you keep walking through the doors, bigger and bigger doors just keep opening up. So it was just a, a really beautiful period of life when there was just these synchronicities and flowing, and it's just a, a great reminder that you, I think you're on the right track. Mm. Yeah. And you've been very good at heeding each of those opportunities, I think. So you came home from from Europe, you came to back home to Australia to actually do your yoga study, and then and then get into the process here. Well, that's that's just amazing. And it, you're right; it is about yeah, heeding, keeping on heeding those and trusting. So, could you talk to me about because this is about trust? These are big steps of trust as we're going through as you're going through each of these steps. I mean, you've left the big corporate job in 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 London. You've gone on traveling. You were going to then do two years of tra- two years of travel. No, now I'm going to come home to Australia, do some training. Doors were all opening that were very positive along the way. But could you talk to us a little bit about the role that trust and faith played in that time for you? Because these are big decisions. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think trust is uh, an innocuous term. It can be taken in so many different ways. Um, in terms of people, I've always had the attitude, you know, I try to trust everyone unless they show me otherwise. So that's my sort of mantra for human trust. But I guess trust in the journey of, it wasn't really, I don't know if it was really trust for me because it was just, I couldn't do anything else. Uh, when, when, when something so profound happens and it happened to me so deeply, it touched something. And like I said, that zip file opened, I just felt there was this, I don't know, wisdom or something inside that needed to come out. I just needed to have a have an avenue for that. And so I I guess it was, yeah, I guess it was just trusting, trusting that well, what is it? I mean, I mean, if you think about life, whatever you choose to do, I always say to people so much, I said, whatever you choose to do, you'll just be doing that. I mean, it's all the second guessing, I think, that screws people up and would have screwed me up if I'd thought about everything I had that I'd lost and left behind, if I judged my life in terms of money and success. But to just recognize that wherever you are in your life, you're just there in your life and you're having an experience. You're just in the experience. And if you can have the experience fully, then there's going to be some outcome. And if you move away from the labeling of the outcome is good or bad or whatever it is, it's just, it's going to be an outcome that comes as a result of you fully engaging in that activity. So I think I learned to just be fully engaged in the choice I was making, the activity I was in, knowing that there would be an outcome. And were some outcomes crappy and average? Absolutely. And did I struggle for five or six years? Yeah. Did I have moments where I thought about putting a suit back on? Absolutely. Like a lot of, you know, self-doubts at times. I'm, what am I doing? I'm an academic. I'm an intellectual. I'm a, a corporate person. What the hell am I you know, getting around barefoot, teaching yoga, living at the beach? Like so many moments. I at one point put my CV back out and, and, and look for work at about five years in going, this is not working. But those little edges were moments that reinforce, mm. no, this is, you know, this is who I am, what I want to do. And so, you know, have faith in the choices and have, have a little faith, I guess, in, I don't know, like, I, I, don't, I don't like the terms that we use in the modern world for, you know, whether it's God or all these different things, but align yourself with something and there will be an energy that supports you. And the more you align yourself with that energy, the more, life will give you energy to continue to align with it. And you can align with yourself with anything. You could be Adolf Hitler and you align yourself with that. And look how much energy that guy had to run a war. Like whatever you align yourself with, you'll get energy to move in that direction. And I think for me, I really tend to remove the, the blinkers of right and wrong. And whatever you align yourself with in life, you get an outcome. It'll lead to a result. And that result will be whatever it'll be. It might lead to more suffering. It might lead to a lot of joy and, and love. It'll lead somewhere. So I think I've just lived a life of aligning myself with, with the energy that's moving and wanting to push me in a certain direction and, and learning not to fight it. Mm. I think that the whole premise of our yoga course you did with us, effortlessness in action, is the that's whole premise of the course is to is to align yourself with that energy and, and then to more and more live in a flow state with it. That's it. And I, that's, and it's so wise, um, Michael, these concepts you're sharing with us, because it is, we're going to be aligning ourselves. We're going to get an outcome, whatever we choose, however we spend it, choose to spend our time on the daily, we're going to get some outcome from that, whatever that, whatever that is. 
and um, it's perhaps you're right about being clear you know do I want do I want more enjoyment of life or can more continuing of the of the suffering and you were like no I think this is where my my path of joy lies and and you're right it is about that alignment with the with the higher power the consciousness I heard someone describe it last week as the great something so um, which I kind of liked but you're right it's that stepping forward in you know on that and having clarity about that path I think that's what I'm hearing as well so Michael you so in terms of being really clear in that alignment I mean that that's it is such wisdom what happened then though at the five-year mark that you felt things shifted what what was the tipping point did something happen then something another significant milestone yeah probably the most significant moment in my life actually happened then so yeah um I went to India with my partner Vanessa for a two-month journey just around India I wasn't really looking for anything I wasn't really seeking out great teachers or anything we just wanted to experience the I guess the motherland of yoga fatherland whatever you call it and um I was miserable I had been meditating like a crazy person for goodness how long then by that point you know maybe six years from the first time that shift happened in London and and I had followed some teachers and teachings and I was really going for it. I was meditating three hours every day. Every day I was doing long retreats. I'd done thousands of hours of meditation. And I found myself sitting on the banks of the Ganges in Rishikesh one day and just reflecting on the fact that after all this inner work, really, I guess, seeking, seeking an outcome, seeking a prize, seeking my enlightenment, if you like, following some, I don't know, like, I, I just wasn't happy. And, and it was a very powerful moment to realize that I actually wasn't happy at that point after a lot of years pursuing this path of almost becoming too detached from the world, too detached from life, too detached from people. I probably, I got too inward. I'd gone too into myself, which is very challenging when, you, when you're wanting to live a life, build a business and be amongst people. I'd stopped getting invited to those parties with friends because I wasn't drinking anymore and I was a vegetarian and, you know, I'd probably, I'd come back from London to Australia a little bit, a bit different. And, um, and, and so I'd lost connections and I'd lost a lot of things, but I'd found a lot of peace inside, but I found that I wasn't happy. Hmm. And so I was in, I was in India and I just happened to be walking around one late afternoon in Rishikesh and I, I came across a couple walking toward me and, and they just looked really different and almost angelic and and most people these days don't stop and talk they just stopped and we talked on the side of the road they invited me back to their hostel we had a cup of tea and they told me about a teacher who was in town an american woman actually candace odenba and and they said this woman's teaching about awareness and we've been with her for a while these are two phd students in psychology mind you who had thrown their psychology in and were now really just pursuing these these very direct teachings on awareness and, and living with freedom. And I thought, to myself, oh, I heard all this before. I heard about awareness and everything. And I'm probably a bit arrogant and closed. And I thought, I'll go along and check it out. And, and the next day I went and I just sat and listened to this woman speak. And she was very natural and very normal and very ordinary, talking about awareness and living as awareness. And, and just this way of teaching that was, it was all about a direct introduction to the nature of your mind. She was actually teaching Dzogchen Buddhism, which is a very, considered the highest vehicle of Tibetan Buddhism. I didn't know it at the time, really. And I sat there and something started shifting and I kept going back day in, day out. And on about day four, 
I was full of questions, putting my hands up, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to be intelligent, looking clever in front of everyone in the room. And, and then she just turned to me and looked at me with a set of eyes, very awake eyes, and, and just said, very clear, compassionate tone. She said, Michael, as mums do, Michael, if I can just recommend that you just drop all the intellectual speculation and just rest your mind for short moments, repeated many, many times, just keep resting your mind, rest as this natural awareness, rest free in the immediacy of every perception was her language. And just, just recognize a natural state of awareness and freedom that, that dwells in your mind. And now I've been chasing that for six years, solid thousands of hours of meditation. I've been chasing something. Mm. And I thought to myself, what if I just for once dropped all the facade and just followed those instructions? And I, and I went and sat on the banks of the Ganges again, beautiful green river, mineralized water that comes down from the high country in the Himalayas. And I was sitting there one day having lunch and, and something shifted for me and it shifted forever because I just remembered those words. And in a moment of doubt, in a moment of yes, but in a moment of analyzing, a moment trying to work it all out, mm. I just rested my mind and something she'd been saying just shifted. And I had a moment people describe like a cosmic consciousness. I had a moment when the me just dropped and I was just, I was one with the beautiful green mountains that come up out of Rishikesh. I was one with the water and one with the air and, and just one with this awareness that I'd been chasing so hard. And suddenly I realized it was always there. And, and somebody had just pointed it out to me. And in that moment, the lights kind of went on in some way. So that was the second big sort of awakening. I described that moment in London. And then, and this was the real moment where I, I saw something that is in all of us. It's the seed of our consciousness that we can't do anything to get to. It's already present. It's already available. And all we need to do is learn how to relax and recognize that who we are is already awake, free, unlimited, unconditioned, pure, and it was that, that taste of, I guess, purity that, that um, overwhelmed me a little in that moment that mm. the universe is essentially pure and, and everything is just a judgment we lay upon it. Mm. And in that moment, I just, I just, something shifted and it shifted forever. And, um, and not saying I've, you know, forgotten regularly over the last however many 15 years, but uh, that seed is there and can be recognized by anyone. And that really just formed the essence of what I wanted to teach to the world. And I came home and I, I wrote my whole yoga teacher training course around that one single insight to help people just feel free in themselves mm -hmm. and, and to know that that's already there and to use yoga and meditation and awareness as tools to help people live more in freedom and joy so that was yeah that was profound that was a, a life-changing moment mm. i'm so great so grateful to have had that um yeah thank you. yeah thank you so much for sharing it is such a profound that's such a profound awareness and what i'm hearing from that and thank you you know that you and you've just described it so beautifully and you have described really the essence of why i established this podcast for exactly that reason it's mm. about all of us understanding that we have that pure essence of of unlimitedness and freedom and joy inside ourselves there's there's nowhere else we need to be other than right here and um but what i'm hearing you say is that 
on that day on the Ganges, you or, or in the class with her or both, you gave up the struggle or the, the desire to sort of this, this urgency, this desperation to try and find some sort of prize or to be a certain way to get a certain outcome. Mm. You were able to sort of just really come home into yourself and realise it was all there. You were all there. Well, that was a profound moment because a little later after that insight, I was walking across the Lakshman Jewel. It's a bridge in, in Rishikesh. That's where I was staying. And, and I'd realized how much I'd been trying and seeking from meditation, how much I've been pushing away other people, even my family and relationships, you know, trying just to seek. And I, I thought you know, doing the right thing and, and living and meditating in a way that's very, the traditional way of meditating. That's like the way of the monk. That's the way of the recluse. And it's not the way I don't think Westerners need to meditate. Uh-uh. And, and I'm on that bridge. I had a moment when I just broke down and I started crying, like just in fits of just torturous tears of all the, all that, Ah, oh, just just trying and seeking and and all the pain of that, it was incredible. And and I literally cried for hours. I went to a cafe and I was just in so much. It was a joyful tears though. It was like a, a tears of relief, just utter unbridled relief mm. that I didn't have to try and be that person because I think since something shifted in London, I'd tried to subtly grow myself into the ideal spiritual person now. Mm. And I, I'd gone from being marketing Mike or Mick to my friends or Mick O to my Aussie friends to, to Michael and to be the, you know, that, that more, that ideal of purity. And, and I was trying to be that and being good person and being ethical and moral. And, and I'd realized all of that, pardon the French was bullshit too. Like it was just another, another layer. It's mm. why I see so many people that are trying to be spiritual that I, I really struggle sometimes to, be around because they they haven't haven't realized that they're just putting another layer on of restriction and closedness and and um and 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 constriction that's not that's so far from freedom that's right exactly right you you exchanged one persona corporate lawyer michael marketing persona or mick i didn't know that about you (laughs) mick to michael spiritual michael but it's still it we just you're exchanging the corporate suit for another suit yes. but it was still this external persona rather than real as she said so beautifully resting into who you truly are what mm-hmm. wow what a, what an incredible realization did you you must have just felt bucket loads of relief after that realization the relief was so profound mm. then. and then it's really started a period of years of what i describe integration i came home from that and and I just, I wanted to then really practice the art of reintegrating all of me, reintegrating the, the, the person who'd been on the tennis court, the person who'd been academic, the, the yoga teacher, the meditation teacher, the Michael, the Mick, the Miko, the marketing, all the different uh, roles. And, and really that's been the last 15 years, a continual integration of all the different aspects. And when people ask me, you know, what freedom is, I think freedom is learning to walk freely in all of your worlds and mm. all of the contradictions. Like I am a walking contradiction and I am so at peace with that. Like I, I am happy to wear so many different hats and just freely, I'm like a honeybee just getting nectar from all the different plants. Like, and that started the process. So I came back home and for a period, I started eating meat again. I started drinking alcohol again. I started going back to nightclubs and, just with a very conscious intent of 
of re-inhabiting all the different parts of me and, and not having any points of view to limit. And that was a beautiful period of absolute unbridled freedom of just finding all the parts. And I think that's been the journey to the point today. I can, I can really feel like I love and embrace the contradictions of being me because in any given moment, you're well aware that you can be so many different people inside you. And I'm no longer trying to be a somebody. I'm just learning how to live the process of me that's unfolding spontaneously every moment. And that's all I am. It's all anyone is. They're just a process unfolding spontaneously. You can't control it, really. You can't. You, you can try and get in the way of it. And that just that's what suffering is. Just be, be the process that's unfolding and, and enjoy and live it fully. And um, I think that's, that's freedom for me is, is that. I love it. I love it. And you're right. It is this, I love this idea of the, this process unfolding. That's a very, I haven't heard it said that way before, but I guess I would say it's about you being you authentically, your authentic self, not worrying about what others think and of what you're doing or what you're not doing, but also allowing and accepting all of those contradictions inside yourself, because you're right, we're, we're many faceted beings, us human beings. We're not just, you know, yoga guru michael or you know or whoever we are with there's so many parts of us that that we bring to the table and i think we are well it's certainly a lot easier when we bring all of ourselves to the table and not trying to hide anything that Mm. we are and people my experience has been i'm not sure about yours but my experience has been the connections that you have with people are so much deeper and more profound and you, you can instantly connect with someone when they feel that you've got no artifice, no persona that you're other, because that's another big filter that, that stops actually that, that true connection. So what did that new realization do then for your, say your personal relationships and your connections with people? Well, it fundamentally changed my relationship with my partner of 18 years, Vanessa. Well, we weren't 18 years then we were newer to our relationship. We'd only been together for, goodness, three or four years. And Vanessa brought a young family to the relationship. So I was a, suddenly a stepdad out of, out of nowhere, out of the blue. And, uh, and, and that had been a challenge for me. So this reintegration just allowed me to accept my new place, my new role and my relationship. And, and what, it, what it came to do for me that was really beautiful. And, and when I coach people with relationship now, one of the things I help people to see is to to realize that I think a lot of people in relationship too and because I was doing it tend to be you tend to tend you tend to compete a little in your relationship against each other and you're you're fighting for points and dominance and all these different things that subtly play out in relationships and Vanessa and I just suddenly made a commitment because she was with me during this process and having her own in the um and, and we just decided to just see the best in each other mm. and support each other's strengths. Mm. And because I think a lot of the time we were, and I see a lot of other people, you get hung up on the weaknesses and you're trying to fix their, all the little things. All those little things are like the five percenters. And I realized you can never get enough five percenters fixed to make a hundred percent work on the 95% that's already freaking awesome and beautiful uh-huh. that you're in love with. And just see that. And actually, we made a commitment to each other to only uplift that part of each other that is shining, you know, just, just to support the strength. 
And in doing that for each other, we just fell in love so much more deeply to this day. Like I couldn't be more in love with another human being after 18 years, like every day we're kind of more in love with each other. Well, I can only speak for myself. I hope it's the case for, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's just this beautiful thing of just seeing the good and, and wanting like from the bottom of your heart for that person to flourish. And, and I, I don't think a lot of relationships live in that way and they can, it's a choice. And realizing we had the tools to clear our own crap. We didn't have to bring it to the relationship. I know how to work with my own stuff. She has to work with hers. And in the relationship, we can just be there for joy, love and service to each other. And, and that's been such a gift. I, that saved our relationship. Those, those little insights are massive. Mm. Oh, they, they are absolutely massive. And I agree with you in that I, in, in coaching work, I do it same, exactly the same thing, you know, focus on the good and let people out of their box. I think sometimes we put people into boxes and that they are a certain way. So they'll always, they've behaved this way historically. So they'll always be this way. Um, and you're right, trying to fix the weaknesses. Um, there, yes, there's, and there's no end of trying. You could try and fix someone weak, someone's weaknesses, but then others would pop up. And what about your own weaknesses? So you, it's such a profound thing to do to, again, make that choice to focus on the strengths. And if I map that back to what you were saying earlier in terms of the way you'd chosen to live your life in terms of just making a decision to align around, you know, that new path, it is, it's again, it's another choice in your relationships to, to align around a path rather than, and keep focused on that path, you know, focus on the strengths rather than worrying about the weaknesses. So, so amazing. I think it really helped me living my life with others too, because when I developed that way, in relationship, my intimate relationship, I really, I realized how much I think people are competing in the world with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And I, st I just started thinking to myself, what would it be like if humans actually wanted the best for each other rather than tearing down? Aussies are great at it. Mm -hmm. Rather than belittling, rather than having to leave that comments in the social media feed, like, why are we doing it? We're doing it just to give ourselves a little dopamine squirt that I'm special or I'm intelligent, like I was trying to do in that room in India, putting my hand up and asking all these so-called intelligent questions. And just, you just, everyone's trying to elevate themselves because as a two-year-old, we wanted mummy and daddy's attention and, and adults are just still, we're still looking for mummy and daddy's attention by trying to elevate ourselves, whether in relationship, whether in business, whether in sports, I just started, I just thought, what, what would it be like to actually just want the best for your friends and for in business and even in sports? Like I would rather have my opponent on the tennis court play at their best because they're going to make me a better player. Mm. You know, just those little things, just actually, you know, survival of the most cooperative rather than the most competitive, you know, those, those little moments that they're reframes in life that have changed everything about how I relate to my friends and clients and students you know absolutely it, well, it shines out michael it really does because you do want the best for others around you and that definitely emanates out and you're right it's that choice because there's a there's an abundance of everything there's an abundance of everything for everyone and and as you say you're right if someone's playing well on the tennis court well then that that helps you go to the next level as well mm. so just in terms then of the meditation because you'd so you'd been this i mean i'd like to just i think that profound teaching that you got in Rikikesh is I'd like to come back to that for a minute. So you'd been sort of the striving meditator. You had this profound um, moment in Rikikesh where it was like rest in these small moments, rest in, in awareness. 
How did that then impact your meditation practice? How did things change? How did that change for you? Well, it, I mean, it changed everything. It changed everything. And I've said for years that you can do the same meditation technique. Two people are going to be sitting side by side doing the exact same technique, but the quality of how they're doing the practice inside themselves will determine whether they're struggling and suffering and seeking or embracing, embodying and enjoying like this, that you can do the exact same. I could go to a 10 day Vipassana retreat and sit next to somebody who's subtly waiting for their body to let go and open up and their mind to awaken. And, and now it's going to happen. And then they get it. Oh my God, I'm going to try and hold on to it as opposed to doing the same technique and just resting as that simple awareness that's already present. So my practice became one of just resting basically it's, it's, it's considered like the highest meditation in Dzogchen and, and, and even in Zen, the practice of what's called Zazen meditation is just basically just sitting mm. and you just sit. But that the, in order to do that style of meditation, generally in these traditions, you need to have had an introduction to the nature of mind. Like otherwise you don't know what you're resting in. You don't know what you're resting as you haven't seen that awareness yet. You haven't had the moment where it woke up. It's already there. So part of the practice is to help when I teach now, help people recognize that through pointing out instructions or through little workshops, help people rest. And so I, I started teaching in a way and reformulating my whole teaching around four s- simple practices for meditation that I bring into my you know, teacher trainings, et cetera. And they're just four simple steps to help people basically have a love affair with themselves in meditation rather than uh, a game, a destination. And that's it. And I, and I found a way I, I feel to, to meditate and help other people meditate to just, for example, let's say you're doing a breath-based meditation and you can be work observing your breathing for 10 minutes and you're waiting for your mind to get calm and you're waiting for the thoughts to shut off, whatever people are trying to do when they're doing that. And, and then I have the, the, the 180 on that. And I said, could every breath be an opening to that which is already here, mm. aware in every breath? So people are observing the breath, waiting to wake up and become aware and, and enlightened. And I just get them to 180 and, and, and sort of rest back into the quality that's here in every breath. And people, it so sounds so simple, but people don't hear that and they don't get that, that what they're seeking is already what's looking. It's already what's perceiving and you can't get to it. You actually can't ever. And by any subtle seeking, you're moving away from that. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's, it's, it's a very subtle resting as and a recognition. So my meditation became just a supreme joy. I can't wait to get on the cushion and just, and just be with, be with me, you know, for an hour every day or whatever it is, or 10 minutes or whatever. I don't have a time frame. Like I don't need to meditate for three hours anymore to get somewhere because what if I'm meditating, I'm not, I'm just resting as that, that same simplicity of, mm. of just joyful awareness. It's so, it's so simple and it's the simplicity that everyone misses. And that's why I believe it's really helpful to have a teacher who's embodied and recognized some of these to help point out, just some of those simple truths. I agree because I think there's a lot of people who think that meditation or you have to be a certain way, I can't move, da, 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 da. I mean, obviously not moving does help, but there's all this dogma, I think, around meditation mm. that actually stops a lot of people from actually stepping into the beauty of it. Mm. And I'm like you, um, just really, under, you know, it's, it's coming from that place of 
it doesn't have to be moving to this you're not waiting to get some prize it's actually already here and I think you've really described that beautifully that idea of you're already here just rest in it and I had a similar it was interesting I had a very similar awakening experience sometime it was it's happened sometime in the last year where I just realized this notion of love you know whereas you know again it was that external love comes you know, love comes is, is from the outside coming in. And I had this very profound realization that I actually was already in love. And it's that same, it's that same, we're talking mm. about the same thing, awareness, mm. love, I think. Mm. But, mm. you know, I, I'm already, I'm actually in the sea of love yes. as opposed to waiting for the sea of love to come to me. And you're saying there with awareness, I'm already in the sea of awareness. I don't, I'm not waiting for it to drop on my head. <laughs> nice. So what a, what a, fantastic place to be and um and so of course you do guide people through this now so that they can actually have this awareness yourself themselves and so you're you now obviously i know you meditate daily but you're no longer dogmatic about it that's what i'm hearing yeah those first few years were i mean they're beautiful had beautiful moments of sublime peace and i just realized that yeah i what i like i said what i was seeking was already there so so that practice now is just it's just a joy i mean i can do any technique the techniques secondary and i always said in the first day of any meditation course i run i said i could teach you a thousand techniques the technique doesn't well that's not true the technique can change different parts of your brain and the techniques can be great for certain things but if you really want to get to the essence of what meditation's about it's not the technique it's 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 the who's experiencing the meditation you can do tantric kundalini meditations you can do basic mindfulness so i say to people just choose the most simple practice that you enjoy and and then learn how to just like part of my teaching is just learn how to sink into silence learn how to just rest as that you call it love i call it loving awareness whatever it is it's that it's that sea of it's a beautiful energy. It's a, it's a, it's an open presence. It's a, it's a quality that's just not seen. And 99.9% of people, unfortunately, live an entire life without getting the gift of recognizing that. And I can't tolerate that. Once you, once you, once you really see that in yourself and recognize how freaking joyful and free you can live as a human, I just want everyone to be there. I don't want to hold it back from anyone. Me too so simple to get there yeah it is that's exactly right and i and i agree with you it's sort of like let everyone know and i think that's also it's it's the it's the teaching of i, I look I'll, I'll a bit of a mind read but a lot of people i think are afraid of letting go of what the outside you know that's that journey of coming back into the inside but then mm. living then your life from the inside out and and that you can still have a very full experience of life as you said you know you do all sorts of things now you're not you're not limiting yourself in any way but it's the perspective from which you're living your life now that mm. makes all the difference and, and I've, I've had a similar shift in my life and everything like like as you've said 180 degree shift when but I'm still on the outside I'm still living what would be considered cool. a fairly standard western normal life mm. Mm. enjoying things you know having your glass of champagne all of those sorts of things Absolutely. But, you know, but doing it from that different perspective. So how did this then, we're sort of coming into the ending parts of our, of our time together, but if you want to just then talk now perhaps about how this is then 
transformed your yoga practice and then also your coaching. I know we, we've talked a little bit about the mind performance coaching and, and I do similar things. So perhaps you want to share a bit about that and, and how that's transformed your yoga teacher training and, and what mm. you're doing. Yeah, I think it just, it's continually evolved our, our, um, our trainings and courses over the years to, to embody more of these principles. And, and yet I think I, I found a teacher, Ken Wilber, who really opened a lot of doors for me in, in what called integral spirituality. And, and, and he really drew a clear line, he said, between um, what he called a vertical path, which is a spiritual path, which is kind of moving, evolving, like toward, you know, and then therapy. And the therapy is of actually clearing out a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that might be in the back closet in the, in the basement of you that, um, that can be really helpful. So I think that's what's evolved most for me is a recognition of what I call, it's like the crucifix. It's the vertical and the horizontal. It's what the meaning of the crucifix is. If you look into it, it's the, it's the vertical path, which is the path toward, you know, in, in Christianity, toward the father, we could say toward essence. And the horizontal path is the path of life, the journey of the meandering processes and the, the unconscious patterns that we pick up in life. And, and so I really came to value and want to explore the path of therapy as well and wanting to be able to support people in that field. So then I went and retrained in different forms of you know, therapeutics and hypnotherapy and NLP and different tools that could really rapidly help people resolve the patterns of their, you know, their past and their childhood. So I'll give you the simple analogy is this. I can rest as awareness and be free as everything that's coming up. So the the joy that can arise in me at times, I can just rest and hold and be in that, in the beautiful openness of that. Equally, I could rest and, and, and be open and hold the space of great suffering and, and grief and, and turmoil, all these old belief systems. So I can be free in all of that and recognize that and, and just be totally at one with it all. And then I came to realize I can also go back and weed out so much of that early life programming and belief systems and emotions so that I don't have to just rest and re-experience all that pain and suffering. I can actually snip it out at the roots so that what's going to flow into my awareness and my life now is going to be of a different flavor than just this eternal recurrence of all that stuff from my life and maybe millions of past lives, I don't know keeping on coming back and so that is what I, I brought a lot more of that sort of the process of clearing as well as opening so that's that's how you might like understand I guess that the crucifix it's a process of opening mm. and elevating and evolving as well as clearing you got to clear the garden so that that you know that the natives can can come back through if you've mm. just got a lot of crap there so I think it brought a lot more of that into my teaching uh, I feel like I've become much more connected teacher now um a different way to language and speak to people a different way to hold space and process what people are going through and 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 to be able to offer that one-on-one -on -one like you do to, to sit mm -hmm. down with people and look someone in the eye and compassionately listen to their story and and help them and just not have to suffer through that anymore That's so awesome. yeah it's kind of those those two paths are, are where it's really been at for me now for the last mm -hmm. five or six years and i just love it i just love being able to have that rapid change for people at a, we could say a spiritual level and a therapeutic level mm -hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah, and you absolutely do that. And it's if you think about um, 
perhaps drawing all the threads of your life together and think about where you started. You, you mentioned you sort of left brain, analytical, intellectual. It is, it's, you, you bring that discipline. And I remember, I, I haven't shared it so far, but I remember when I first met you about 10 years ago at a yoga festival and I saw you speak for an hour and I thought, that guy's got something. And, and it is because you've got that ability to bring the beauty of the spiritual path, but also the ability, the caring to, uh, of the individual. And you've got the, you've got the intellectual capability to hold the space for mm. the whole person in, in their entirety. And I think that's a very, very powerful combination to have. So it's that early life has certainly mapped, you know, there's, there's benefits from all of that training you had to, to come to where you are now. Mm. So um, I've got two questions now. Um, one of the questions I do like to ask on this podcast if, if, is if someone's feeling really stuck in this moment right now as they're listening to us and there might be there's something that might be going on for them. We've had a big year with COVID and so on. And um, if, if there's something, is there one little piece of advice, one little tool that you could share with them to help them get unstuck in some ways? Is there something that you would, would like to share? Oh, that's a big question. Stuck in an emotional sense, stuck yeah, in just life feeling purpose. stuck, not not getting to where they want to go. Stuck, maybe stuck in an emotional sense. I think that's what it all gets back to, really. Yeah. Um, well, there's some great simple tools. I think uh, there's one simple one I, I've learned that is just a, a simple hack I'd love to share. And I always share this with everyone whenever I speak or whenever I have a client. It's just, it's just the simplest hack. And I want you to think about like this, the ultimate model of therapy for anybody is, um, is this, if you remember four words, ADAC, A-D-A-C, ADAC. And the four words mean associate, dissociate, associate, and then collapse. And, and if you're stuck in anything in your life and you want to get out of it, we want to remember ADAC. And what I mean by that is associate means to, firstly, when we're stuck in a bit of a funky state, the first thing we often don't want to do is actually feel it and be with it. And so we're projecting all our crap Stuff. out onto the world. It's everyone else's problem. I'm not angry. Everyone else is angry right now. And so the first thing is to associate into yourself and into your feeling and what's actually going on. Own your state and recognize how it actually feels, where you're feeling it. Do I feel that churning in the belly? Do I feel that hardness in the heart? Do I feel that static in my mind? Like really really notice it and even give it a rating. Oh, this is like an eight out of 10 right now. This is intense. And just notice that. And you can do these little quick therapies on yourself. And then you want to dissociate. And that means to get yourself out of that. And that's all therapy is. Good therapy is then helping people have little pattern interrupts, get them out of it. And there's millions of things you can do. Like in yoga, take you know a minute of slow belly breathing or something um you know whatever it is but there's this technique i love to share and it's very simple and it's it's just simply this when you notice and you really associate into something that's a bit funky you just slowly blink three times like just not not like a weird blink like you've got some weird problem with your eyes <laughs> just you just slowly blink and just hold for a second longer than you might not but consciously blink three times and if you got the space and you're not driving or anything, you just look up and you do a slow circle of your eyes fully in one direction. And then you do a slow circle of the eyes in the other direction. And then you just blink one more time. And what they found is that the eyes plug into states of our consciousness. And when we're stuck associated to all this uh, angsty stuff that's going on, it's hard to get out because our brain's really in high beta. 
So you want to do something quickly to dissociate you out of it and get your brain into an alpha state, a relaxed state. And that's what we just call a pattern interrupt in NLP. And that eye process is very quick and simple because when you change your eyes, it's what I use in hypnosis, you take people into a trance. So don't do that when you're driving and don't do it when you're having a business meeting. Someone will think you're a weirdo, but do it when you've got a moment. I even say to people, just if you've got anxiety, go to the bathroom and just mm-hmm. get yourself and do that. And then you want to stage three quickly, associate into the feeling you want to have. So I just say to people, when's a time you just felt how you'd want to feel? When's a time you felt really confident? When's a time you felt really on top of it? When you felt your time, you felt like you were nailing it, really happy. Go back and remember and revivify, just drop into that memory. You know, I always remember stepping onto base camp Mount Everest and I felt so freaking high and emotional, happy. And it's a great resource for me. I always just drop back into my body in that moment. I feel so freaking awesome. And then I breathe and I expand into it. And then when I'm feeling all that, I think about that, that little person that had that little emotion going on. And from that state, I imagine trying to do that old behavior or have that old feeling. And that's the final stage of collapse. And then like, I cannot any longer be that person when I'm in this empowered state mm-hmm. and it just collapses. My brain fizzes out for a second, a new neural pathway is connected and I'm, I'm out of that. So it sounds complex, but it's like, feel what you're feeling, get out of it with the eyes, blink three times, do two full circles, blink again, and then associate to how you want to feel. And then just from that state, look at that issue from this empowered state and realize it just is a lot softer. You can do this process in a minute when you learn how to do it and it will change your life. It changes people's lives. And at this time of year, like you go to a family engagement and your family's driving you nuts Instead of being all sparky and reactive, just go and take a minute, go to the bathroom, feel it. Oh, I'm so worked up. My freaking brother, my sister, my mum's always like this, whatever. Do that process and then associate it with time you felt love, when you felt compassion. Feel that, breathe into it, roll your shoulders back, smile, lift the consciousness, like change your frequency. And then from that state, think about what was irking you. It can't exist in that state. Walk back into the room in that state and you'll, you'll start to create a totally different reality. Wow. That's such a great teaching. Thank you, Michael. That's a great tip. And it is, you're exactly right. It's, it's reframing, it's pulling you out and it's changing that frequency. And not it means you can't actually go in and see the room in the same way. So mm. that is such a great tip. Thank you. And that was, brings me to my final question. You know, How are you going to close out what has been a big year and, and welcome in the new year. What's, what's your, uh, what's your plans for, for welcoming in 2021 after the big year that we've, we've all had with COVID-19. Mm. Um, I did a little process some years ago. I won't go into all of it now, but it was a bit of a, a deep inner psychedelic kind of process. And, and out of that I had this powerful insight to take more time and stop and give myself a pat on the back because I'm always someone who's, I love sharing, I love giving, I love helping people. And then I'll, I'll finish a, a, a profound retreat and then I'm often, well, what can I do next? And how can I serve next? And, and, and this inner teacher, this inner voice, whatever it was, just said, just stop sometimes and give yourself a pat on the back and appreciate you're doing great work and that you're a great person and, and just stop and, and say thanks to yourself. Mm. And, and that's not narcissistic. That's just appreciating, you know, the person, the, your own strengths. And, and so that's what I'm going to be doing for these next few weeks on holidays, just, just taking time to reflect and, and have a little, you know, pat on the back and, you know, go, you know, wow, you're actually, 
you're not not a hideous human being actually doing something half decent and 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 appreciate you know appreciate some of the the small the small good things over the year so i think and you know having a few beers with friends and barbecues and uh enjoying lots of connections with family and friends of course that sounds lovely and i I love to hear you say that because yes you are i think the thing is is we we are who we are within ourselves aren't we and you're you're intrinsically someone who's i think an extremely hard worker and extremely dedicated and committed and um i would say i'm similar to you and it is really important just to take that time out and have that self-appreciation because you can Mm. rush on to the next thing and not get there so so great that you're going to have a bit of a break have a bit of time out Mm. and uh have that appreciation time and um i'd just like to say thank you so much for your time in the lead up to christmas and for you being so sharing and so giving today of, of your experiences and to, I guess, in, show us, you know, what that path can be and how to continue on and to continue in alignment towards something that, that really does light you up, which, which, which is you're so passionate about, which is meditation, yoga, and now the mind performance coaching. Mm. So thank you so much mm. for your time, Michael, and I look forward to catching up with you very soon. That's a pleasure, Jan, and thanks for having me along. Been great. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening.